All right. Well, I'm not Brian Barcelona, but he will be here. They finished last night at 3 a.m., and so uh, he was dragging a little bit, and traffic was longer than he thought. So he should be here in a few minutes, but until that time, I'm going to bring you the Word of God. And since I found out I was doing this about a half hour ago, um, it's going to be deep. Amen. I want to talk to you today about the sword of the Lord. Can you say with me the sword of the Lord? Now, here's the truth I want you to see. I'm going to take you through four passages related to the sword of the Lord, and I'm going to show you this truth. It is this, that truth is revealed under the edge of the sword. For example, if you want to get truth out of somebody and you put a knife to their throat, there's a good chance they're going to tell you the truth. The Bible is called the sword of the Lord. When you take the Bible and you apply it to your life, the Bible says truth is revealed. Now, let me show you some examples of that. First of all, let's look in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. You may remember uh, the background of this. It's Adam and Eve have sinned against God, and God has cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And the reason being is if they would have eaten then from the tree of life, they would have permanently been separated from God. So God had to keep them out of the garden. And let's look, look what the scripture says here in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, beginning in verse 22. It says this. I'm in 1 Kings. It's not going to help me a bit. Hold on. All right. You know, I'm just going to look on the screen. Put it up here. Okay, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Remember, this is what Satan said, that in the day that you eat of the fruit, you will be like God. And in one sense they were, because they knew the difference between good and evil, and now everything in life was judged on the basis, is this good or is this evil? The problem with that standard is this. We were never intended to judge life, one another, or our environment on the basis of good and evil, but rather on the issue of life or death. You see, God wanted us, wants us to be alive, and so when man sinned, he died spiritually. What happens many times when you become a Christian is you begin to base your life on uh, are you good or bad, which is completely wrong. The idea is, is are you a life-giving spirit or is your life producing death? And you see, the problem is that if you're always looking at good, you're going, well, I'm a good Christian. Do you realize that category does not exist in the Bible? How about this one? They're a really good Christian. What does that mean? Well, they're probably a better than me Christian, right? But the idea is we want to be a life-giving spirit. So let's look at this scripture and see what happens in Genesis and uh, in, in this fourth chapter. Okay, therefore the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which it was taken. So he drove the man out and he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So you see what's happening. So now here's this angelic being with this sword. He's turning in every direction to keep Adam and Eve from going back in to keep them from eating from the tree of life. You see, here's one thing that we know about the word of God. The word of God is the one thing that absolutely detects truth or error in our life. 
Have you ever been reading the word of God and you read it and you go, wow, I'm, I'm guilty of that or wow, that cut deep or that applies to me? That's what the word of God is supposed to do. That's why we're supposed to stay in the word of God, read the word of God, so that we get on the right path, stay on the right path. A lot of people say, well, I pray to do that. Prayer is never a method of detecting truth. That's why so many people get confused. They said, I prayed about it and God told me it was okay. But it, if it violates scripture, it's not okay, amen? You see, it's always gotta go back to the word of God. Because sometimes we don't know that voice when we pray. Is that the voice of me? Is that the voice of God or is that the voice of the enemy? The thing that distinguishes it ultimately is the word of God. So we see in the very beginning, God uses a sword and truth is revealed on the edge of the sword. Now let's go to our next scripture and that's found in 1 Kings chapter three. Now in 1 Kings chapter three, Solomon has become the new king of Israel. One of the things he prayed for was that God would give him wisdom. And the wisdom that he would need would be from above and not from below. So these two ladies show up and they have one baby. And each of them are claiming the baby is theirs. One of the babies died in the middle of the night. Apparently a mom rolled over on the baby, it suffocated, it died. And now both women are claiming this baby is their baby. Solomon looks at the baby and says, tell us whose mother is this baby? Now, if you've ever seen babies, it's pretty hard to distinguish them unless you're the mom. If we brought five babies up here and say, okay, go pick out the mom, you go, I don't know. Because they all kind of look like Winston Churchill. You know what I mean? <laughs> kind of chubby, cute, you know, that kind of a thing. He doesn't know, so here's what he does. I'll just tell the story. Here's what he does. He says, bring me a sword, and I'll cut the baby in half and give each mom a half. Clearly, we don't want him working in our preschool. <laughs> Amen? Or I'm gonna cut the baby in half. And the mother of the baby says, wait a minute, don't kill my baby. The other mother said, oh, go ahead and do it. See, she didn't care about that baby because her ba she'd already lost her baby. And at that moment, Solomon knew the truth of whose mother that baby belonged. Because truth is revealed under the edge of the sword. Do you see how this works? All right, now let's go to Hebrews chapter four. And this is a pretty familiar scripture to many of you. If it's not familiar, I would really encourage you to study this one and really get this deep in your heart. Now listen to what it says. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Here it is. So what does it do? It says it's, it's living. Do you know why the Bible comes alive when you read it? Because it's not a static book. It's not something that you master, that it always stays the same in, in, in the sense that you're the application to your life. So when you read the word of God, what the spirit of God is doing is he's taking that word, he's applying it to your life in that moment so that you have clarity. That's why you can read the same passage uh, a year later and, and God makes new application and brings new truth to your mind in that moment because it's living. That it's also active. That means God is always using his word to affect your life. So sometimes you'll have a verse come to your mind that you don't even know that you memorized. If you've ever had this experience. And you may only get part of it, but all of a sudden you're in a situation, say, what do I do? And a portion or a complete verse will come to your mind. 
That's because Jesus said in John 14 that the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will bring to remembrance all that I have spoken to you. See, the Holy Spirit's job is to take what's been put into your life, bring it to a remembrance at the right time, make application in your life so that you progress in your Christian life. That's why it's so important to read the Word of God, to have it in your heart, to memorize the Word of God, to have it in your heart, so the Holy Spirit can draw from that in the, at the right time and make application in your life at exactly the right time. Amen? All right, so let's go on and see what else it says here. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit. Did you know that you have a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you have a spirit, little s, okay? And so what happens is I can speak to your soulish man, that is your mind, your will, and your emotions, but only Holy Spirit can speak to your spirit man, so what happens is you bring information in through your five senses to the soulish man, and then you apply that to, with the word of God, by the spirit of God. What happens is when you don't distinguish between the soulish man and the spirit man, there's where confusion comes. Now let me explain that. Mind, will, and emotions. So everything works this way. Things come into my mind, I make a decision, will, and then I react emotions. Got it? Mind, will, and then emotions. That's why when people say, oh, I'm just really an emotional person. No, you're an emotional person because you thought a thought, you made a decision, and it resulted in an emotion. If you correct your thinking, you can correct your emotions. And it's so critically important to understand that because when you're, when, for example, if you're sitting in worship and you're sitting there and let's just say you don't like to lift your hands and it's fine, it's not essential to lift your hands in worship, okay? But let's say if you're sitting there and going, I am not gonna lift my hands in worship. Why? Well, I don't like the way it looks. I don't like the way it feels. My arms get heavy. You see what I'm saying? But on the other hand, if you say, I'm gonna lift my hands, why? Well, because I understand something about worship. It's, it's actually from the, the Hebrew word, yudah, which means the thrusting forth of the hands. It's praise. So when I push my hand up like this, I'm actually expressing something as an act of my will that results in an emotion where I either go, this is not half bad. It did not kill me to raise my hand. Now, I will say there are times where I like to lift my hand, sometimes where I don't. You see, worship needs to be individual, Right? But we have to understand where all this comes from. So look what he says here in Hebrews chapter 4. It, it, it pierces the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the true intentions of the heart. You don't even know your heart without the word of God. You say, I know myself. No, you really don't know yourself without the word of God. The word of God peels back your heart and shows you what's really going on there. It says it is a discerner, notice this, of the true intentions of the thoughts and the heart. I, I see this all the time. I want to go back to it. People say, well, I prayed about it, and God showed me it was okay. You see, you have to have a discerning spirit to know what's okay. You have to have the word of God that fuels that. Because look what it says in verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are um, naked and open to the eyes of him whom, whom we have given account. Do you realize that you can hide something from everybody in life, even yourself, but not God? Bummer, huh? 
You ever notice when people get away, away from the, a little away from the, you know what they do? They stop going to church. I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just not gonna go. Why? Well, I, I just, I don't like that preacher. I don't like the music. I don't like the, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. What they're really doing is they're communicating something that's going on in their spirit life. Well, church is not perfect. Well, join the club. Neither are you. Amen. If you find a perfect church, don't go there. You'll mess it up. Amen. People say, I'm just going to stop going to church because I, I just, I, I didn't like the church. Well, you don't stop going to a restaurant because you got a bad meal. Amen. You just find another restaurant. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find the place where I'm going to grow in Christ. All right, now I want to show you one other scripture here. This is Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. And this is one of the, the last references to the word of God as a sword. And I love the way that the Holy Spirit puts these together. Now think about what happens. We begin this study with looking at Genesis chapter 3. And we talked about the sword that was in the hand. And it was a flaming sword. It was in the hand of the cherubim. Right? Then we go to the next sword, and that's Solomon who has a sword, and he's going to find out the truth in the situation between the two wives. Then we go to Hebrews chapter 4, and we read that the Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And now we go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Now heaven opened, behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was faithful and true, and in righteousness does he... Uh, judge and make war. The eyes in the f- were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written on him that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Amen? And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword with which it, he, he should make war with the nations. Now, we just did a quick study on the word sword, just taking one word. We could take and run 100 references to sword. But if we did that, we wouldn't get to hear from Brian Barcelona today. And I want to hear from Brian. How about you? Brian is hot off the press, (laughs) probably still reeling from being up till 3 a.m. in the morning with a bunch of Gen Zers. But I want you to stand to your feet, put your hands together for Brian coming and bringing the word of God to us today. Oh, I just want to publicly apologize. I am so sorry. If that was a filler message, that was the best filler message I've ever heard. I should have just sat down. That was amazing. Um, my voice is a little raspy. I was hanging out with Lou Engle yesterday. If you close your eyes, I can do his impression pretty good. I was with him yesterday. We, we, uh, we gathered thousands of young people yesterday. I don't know if any of you guys were able to go or watch or stream, uh, but it was truly uh, remarkable. The entire week, I felt like um, honoring uh, Amy Simple McPherson. I don't know if you guys know much about Amy Simple McPherson, a powerful woman. She was born in 1890. Uh, She built Angela's Temple. Uh, She got the architectural plans and a vision from God. Um, I was joking around because none of these Gen Zers know who she is. So I was literally walking and I go, you see this light? Amy Simple hung this light. I I was messing with them. But we were honoring her legacy, uh, her stretcher nights. She used to do this thing called stretcher nights where thousands of people that were sick and ill and crippled would come and they would be healed. Uh, 
she just she was a, she was a legend in her time. And this year was the hundredth year anniversary since she built Angela's Temple. And my whole prayer all week was, God, I pray you would come on September 9th and you would honor Amy Simple McPherson. That you would honor her legacy of what she built 100 years ago with today's generation. Uh, there was these, a moment we, we did baptisms. Um, I, I shared, I'm going to share actually today my, it's in my message, but I was sharing about my sister's story. But uh, we, we had rescued her from human trafficking. I'm going to get to that in a moment. But my sister was trafficked 14 minutes from that location yesterday. And I was preaching, and I, I was preaching the gospel, and I says, who knows? Maybe there are those, just like my sister, who would come to meet him tonight. Well, maybe about an hour later, we're doing baptisms, and these six prostitutes walk in front of Angela's temple. And there was people that were there. They went out and began to preach the gospel. They gave their lives to Christ, and they got baptized that night. You know, somebody was saying, man, it just, last night just felt so powerful. And I, I felt like last night was powerful because there was multiple generations in the room. I was looking over at Lou, who didn't stick to his time slot at all. <laughs> Lou, you got five minutes. Yeah, right. But you don't tell him that he's, just let him go. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is remarkable. There's history of Amy and Angela's temple. There's history of Lou and now these next generation, you know, they say that the, it's 4%, I believe, of Gen Z will be Bible-believing in America. And I know, although that sounds depressing, that, that it's gone down, the 4%, in my opinion, is a far better quality of a believer than it was 50 years ago. <laughs> this, this generation is actually having to really pay a price for their faith. I don't think most of us paid a price for our faith in America. At least I didn't. That was a millennial. We just went to Christian concerts. And most of the songs that we sung were not really about him. They were about how I, how I would feel. Jesus touched me or, you know, lead me to the crib. It was all about me, me, me. Last night I'm sitting there and they're singing, my beloved. They're singing Yeshua. I'm just sitting there thinking, I never sung songs like this. I never sat there. Did you? Maybe you did. I don't know. Maybe back in the days, the old, 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 you know, older, older songs. But... I feel like for the last 20, 30 years, the songs haven't been vertical. And Gen Z is singing these vertical songs. I'm sitting there listening to myself and they're singing to him. I'm telling you this because you have to be encouraged. You have to know that you are literally living parents. You are parenting one of the wildest generations in a good way. When we pulled up to Angela's Temple, there were Thousands of young people wrapped around the building with signs, Jesus, Jesus. We, had to cl we closed down the street. The city closed the street down for us. Jesus, Jesus. And I'm, and I'm walking with Lou, and I go, was it like this in the Jesus movement? And he goes, not this crazy. <laughs> there was, but it was different. Social media and has amplified what God is doing. And I want to share real brief this morning kind of the heart piece that we carried into yesterday. I encourage you to go to YouTube and watch even just clips or 
or watch clips on Instagram of what happened, these moments. You know, a guy named Marcos Burnett came from Argentina, very, very known in the Hispanic community. It's amazing because as they're singing Spanish worship, there is no language barrier. You got white kids singing these Spanish songs. I mean, I don't even know how to sing Spanish songs, you know. And there's no language barrier. All there is is praise. And I want to just share this. This morning, I believe praise is a key part. It's a key part of what we're carrying. I don't know if you've ever heard my sister's second story. I know I've shared her first one here. My sister got saved in 2019 in our house in Pasadena, California. She came to stay with us for four days. It turned into four weeks. At that time, my sister was on drugs. She was drinking, and she was in a lesbian relationship for two years. Everything you would say is contrary to our faith. And I remember after spending about a month with us, you know, I was spending time with her, taking her to every store she wanted to go to, cleaning up after her because she's not clean like me, leaving Cheetos all over him, just sweeping. And I remember there was this one day I knock on the door of my sister's room and I said, hey, can I talk to you? Can we? She's on the phone with her girlfriend and she says, sure. She hangs up the phone. And I go into her room and I just sit with her. And this is not like the, the perfect scenario for gospel presentation, just so you know. There was no lights, no keyboard player. I mean, there was like frozen toys and Barbie toys, unicorns on the wall in my daughter's room. Everything's working against me here, okay? And I just share the gospel with my sister. I said, I have to tell you a story. And tears are streaming down her face. And I think, oh, surely now she's ready. And I said, would you like to receive him? And she says, no. And I'm thinking, no. That was the greatest gospel presentation in the entire world. What do you mean, no? Just kidding. I go, why no? And she goes, Brian, look at me. She goes, I drink. I do drugs. She goes, Brian, I'm with a woman. Why would God want this? Tears start coming down my eyes. And I goes, Z. God decided he wanted this 2,000 years ago when he hung on the cross. So in that room, my sister receives Christ. And I sent her to YWAM. She goes, what's YWAM? I said, don't worry. I said, they got really good food. You don't go to YWAM for the meals, I promise. Any YWAMers here? No. I'll bless you. We sent her to YOM and in YOM she starts talking to this guy back in California. Well, this guy eventually starts grooming my sister into a lifestyle that she would get caught up in that she never thought she'd be. I want to read you what happened on March 22nd this year, 1.42 p.m. We got a text message from my sister. The text message says this, hey, brother, it's Z. Remember, she gets saved in 2019. We're now in 2023. Hey, brother, it's Z. I need help. I need rehab. I said, hey, Z, miss you, love you. Let's do it, praying for you. She says, please let me know of some places and what I need to do. My face is the worst beat it's ever been. 
I'm tired of these drugs. I'm sick of throwing up every day because of these pills. Miss and love you more, thank you. My sister had found herself at a place in her life where she was put on fentanyl. And she was being sold and trafficked on Figueroa Street in Los Angeles and in the streets of Sacramento, California. It was March 25th, a few days later, that we pick up my sister from DFW Airport and her face is black and blue. She gets in the car and says, what happened? She says, Brian, he wouldn't stop hitting me. I was in the car and I was trying to get out of her perpetrator. He wouldn't stop. He would pull me back and he just kept hitting me in my face. She goes, thank God there was a couple of gangbangers outside. They see what happened. The police came. He was arrested. But of course it was California, so he wasn't charged. No offense, I live in Texas. We have ways of handling things. They're different. Just saying. Only in this church would I get a clap for that. Everyone else would be offended. Start a YouTube channel. I don't care. My sister would spend the next five days detoxing on our couch. And I don't know if you've ever experienced someone detoxing from fentanyl. It's a very powerful drug. Yet alone, I don't know if you've ever experienced it being your own sister. You know, the gospel, I've had the privilege of preaching the gospel for now coming on. I've been saved. This year was 16 years, September 5th, that I gave my life to Christ. I've been preaching for about 15 of those years. And thank God they didn't have live stream strongly on YouTube back when I started. <laughs> but I've preached the gospel in all types of settings. I've preached it in public schools in Compton, South Central, East LA. I've preached it in conferences and churches and stadiums and arenas. But it's one thing when you preach the gospel to a group of people. It's another thing when you're preaching the gospel on a couch to your sister when you don't have this. So the first night she's detoxing and I look at her and I says, of course I'm a brother, I'm gonna prophesy good things over her. And I said, you listen. I said, God's not done. He's not done with your life. I said, one day, Zaleah, you're gonna be a wild woman of God. You're gonna preach the gospel. I go to bed. So at three in the morning she wakes me and she goes, wake up, Brian, Brian. I go, what? She goes, what if I don't wanna preach? I said, go to bed. I don't care about that right now. She goes, no, 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 there's one more thing. I go, what? She goes, Brian, I took something. I go, what did you take? She goes, I, 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 I took a shroom. She goes, I had only one more drug, and I just thought I'm detoxing off of this drug. Maybe I should take this drug. She goes, my, my heart is beating out of my chest. Take me to the hospital. I pick up my sister, and I put her in my truck, and I drive her at 3 in the morning to the hospital. I watch her shaking on a bed. I remember the words she told us when she got to our house. She said, it doesn't matter how many times I shower, I never feel clean. And we tell her, there's blood for that. You know, what I have found prevalent in today's generation, I want to encourage you with Gen Z, there has been more of an emphasis on communion in this generation than I have ever seen. 
other than probably the Catholic Church. That's one thing the Catholics got. And remember, you don't take communion, you receive it because you don't take his body, you receive his body. I am witnessing now as we took communion with thousands of young people yesterday at Angelus Temple. There is, a, there is an awakening to communion. So for the next few days, she's detoxing, she's getting through this and on the third day, she's having a real hard day. She comes and she comes into the kitchen and she just goes, I want the drug, I want the drug. I, I, I need the drug, I want the drug. And we tell her, you don't want that drug. We said, listen, that drug is why your face is the way it is. She goes, no, I, I need the drug. I said, you don't want the drug, your body wants the drug. I said, say this, say my body wants. She goes, my body wants the drug. I said, listen. I said, you don't want that drug, Celia. And all of a sudden, Marcella comes out. And she goes, hey, I have something for you that is more powerful than any fentanyl you've ever taken. It's, you could, I could actually give it to you right now. Do you want it? She goes, what is it? And she pulls out a communion cup. And in my kitchen, my sister on fentanyl opens up our last communion. And she takes it. She receives it. She receives this communion element. And over the next days, we'd witness her battle shame and condemnation. But us coming from charismatic backgrounds, we do one thing. We bust the oil out. I know some of you probably got it on your keychain right now. You, you look like those kinds of people. You put it on the doorpost, on your family members. How many of y'all had grandmas like that? Well, that's why you're here. You know, the, Lou spoke this this week and he said that every revival you can trace to a prayer meeting except the Jesus movement. Because there wasn't a prayer meeting that was being held. There was desperate moms crying out for their kids in the sex and drug revolution in the 60s. I believe that's what's happening now. As you are witnessing by the drones, you are witnessing thousands of kids be deceived by all these different messages. It is now pushing mothers back to their knees. And I believe we are witnessing, what we're witnessing in Gen Z is because of this. You following me? Somebody's phone. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not going to make a corny joke like other people. Is that Jesus calling? You ever heard that one? She pulls out a communion cup and we take communion. Over the next days, I'm playing upper room for her. I'm reading Psalms 91. And on the fifth day, my sister's bruising would subside. On the fifth day, she would say yes to God again. On the fifth day, she would say yes to going into a rehab for a period of time. We did one thing in this entire time. We praised. That's what we did. We had a girl share yesterday who a year ago, September 3rd, wrote a suicide note and said, I'm going to kill myself. But before I do, I'm going to go to this event called Gen Z for Jesus. It's my last event I'll go to. She had no idea what she was coming into. You know that Bible verse, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my. 
Most of us read that in America and westernized Christianity, and we think it means that God's going to bless you with an Escalade so your haters can watch you drive away. God's going to bless your bank accounts real fat so your haters can say, oh, no, it's not what it means. It's at the Lord's table he deals with the enemies of his people. Yesterday, there was a table set in that auditorium. And God began to deal with the enemies of depression, of suicide, of anxiety. That girl who came in a year ago, who wrote her suicide note, said, I'm going to go to this event as my last resort. She gave her life to Christ last year, got baptized, and got delivered of suicide. Hold on. And yesterday took the mic on a stage and spoke over her generation of what God did. Why? Praise. God inhabits on the praises of his people. Bill Johnson said, if God inhabits on the praises and who inhabits on our complaints. I think far too long we've complained about Gen Z. How many parents are guilty of that? Nobody? Wow. Bunch of liars. I've complained about my kids and they're seven. My son is three. You know, I didn't see him for a couple days because I've just been busy. He's, by the time I get home, he's asleep. So I come home and I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to be so excited to see me. He says, Dad, what did you buy me? <laughs> I said, I, I brought you me. And with the biggest disappointment, he just begins to cry. <laughs> I wasn't enough for my son. <laughs> I've heard it doesn't get any better. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. You know, I want to end this morning not by giving you just scripture. We're going to go into heavy scripture right now, but activation. Can I get the band up here? Is that okay? Full band up here. We're going to do something. I just want you to follow me for a moment. You know, there's seven Hebrew words for praise. I don't know if you knew this. A lot of times we do things in church, but don't actually know how biblical they are. You ever heard, you ever heard a pastor say, just lift your hand to God for a moment. How many of you have ever heard that before? Okay, well, the reason why the pastor is saying that is not because they're trying to get a good Instagram picture. There's a Hebrew word in the scriptures for praise called yada. Say yada. yada. Say yada. Yada is a Hebrew word for praise, which means this. It's where you praise God by extending and lifting your hands. Hold on. Here's what you got to understand. The worst analogy we've ever given people in church is we say, lifting your hands is surrendering to God like you would surrender to a police officer. No, that's terrifying. If I'm on the other end of a barrel, there's nothing joyful about that. That's not yada. Yada is where there is an expression of praise and you lift your hands. Where was it in the Bible? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21. Give thanks, give yada to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 63, verse 4. So I will bless thee as long as I live. I will yada, lift up my hands in thy name. Psalms 107, verse 15. Oh, that men would praise yada the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Stand at your feet. We're going to take 30 seconds. And we're going to praise God 
with our words, but we're gonna extend our hands this morning. I had a guy come up to me in a service once and he said, I want you to know I've been in church for 30 years and today was the first day I ever lifted my hands. Can I tell you something, men, this is not just for your wives. There is something powerful about when you join them. Would you all just lift your hands? Next 30 seconds, we're just gonna yada the Lord right now. Just lift up your voice on the count of three. Yada the Lord and praise Him with lifted hands. One, two, three. by shining, by boasting, by celebrating, and clamorously looking foolish. Y'all yeah. don't like that one, right? So here's how this is gonna work. We're gonna go two rounds. First round, we're gonna, we're gonna halal the Lord. Half the room's gonna do it, and the other half is gonna look to see if the other half did it. It's kinda like, you ready to jump? Yeah, you, right? This is a Hebrew word that gives you permission to get out of your seat. This is where you, you, you we, we sometimes categorize it like, oh, that's just for Crazy Joe. You know, Crazy Joe just, he worships like that. No, no, no. Everybody is given permission to halal the Lord. Where you look foolish, where you jump, where you shout, where you dance. So why don't you just make room in your seats just really quick. You ready? All right, you ready? On the count of three, I'm gonna give you permission to worship however you would like, okay? You ready? This is not dignified, this is undignified, okay? You ready? Before we do, where's it in the Bible? Psalms 113, verse one through three. Praise Halah, ye the Lord. Praise Halah, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise Halah, the name of the Lord. Psalms 150, verse one. Praise Halah, the Lord, praise. Allah God in His sanctuary. Praise Allah Him in His mighty expanse. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? You ready? One, two, three.
Shabbat. Say Shabbat. Shabbat means this is where you praise by shouting and addressing in a loud tone, in a voice of triumph. Here's the thing. Every one of you have Shabbat at some point. It's called the World Cup. It's called the Super Bowl. It's called your NBA game. How many of you have people in your life that they're shouting at that television, hoping their team will win? Well, when you Shabbat the Lord, you're not shouting, hoping he wins. You're shouting because he already won 2,000 years ago. On the count of three, we're gonna Shabbat the Lord. This is not lifting up a little shout. This is from here. You are shouting to God with a voice. Where is it in the Bible? Psalms 47 verse one. Oh, clap your hands on you people. Shout Shabbat to God with a voice of triumph. Psalms 145 verse four. One generation shall praise a Shabbat thy works to another and declare thy mighty acts. Are you ready? On the count of three, you're gonna lift up the loudest shout you've ever lifted. You ready? Are you ready? Over here in this area, you ready? One, two, three.
The music took him to a place mentally he could not get to without it. What could worship do? Maybe worship could take you out of anxiety, out of depression. So here's how this is gonna work. Lead us from your tongues. Samar the Lord for a moment. This is called Samar. Psalms 21 verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in thy own strength. So we will sing and praise Zamar, thy power. First Chronicles 16 verse 9. Sing to him, sing praises, Zamar, to him, speak of all his wonders. This is called Zamar. Are you ready?
stand to your feet. We got two more. The next one, hold on, before you clap, when you hear this, the next Hebrew word for praise is a word called todah. Say todah. Say todah. We see this word a lot of times in the African-American church. You know it as a praise break. Or you might hear someone say, praise them on credit. You ever meet an older person and then you say, how's your son doing? Oh, he's in jail, but he's coming. Oh, his faith is coming. Todah means this. It's where you praise God, check this out, for things you have not received yet. This is a Hebrew word which gives you permission to praise Him even if you're still addicted to pornography, even if you're still struggling with anxiety, even if you still have depression. You can todah, you praise Him for things you have not received. Maybe you haven't received your breakthrough yet. Maybe you haven't received the salvation of that family member, but you can todah the Lord. Where is it in the Bible? Psalms 50 verse 14, offer unto God praise todah and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Psalms 50 verse 23, whoso offereth praise to God glorifieth me and to him that ordereth his conversation. Listen, would you lift your hands? Todah, like halah, is where you can go crazy and respond to God even if you haven't seen the breakthrough. I'm not gonna tell you how to do this, but if God today was to answer those prayers, how would you respond? If every petition today was answered on the count of three, how would you respond? You guys ready? You guys ready? One, two, three. sing my song 
When I lift my hands to God, it's different. Before we do this, can I tell you that praise and worship on this side of eternity, there is only a fragrance you can give God on this side, you can't give Him on the next. How do I know? How many of you have ever wept in worship before? Do you know that you can only give God your tears in worship on this side of eternity? Because when you're in heaven, He wipes away Tears is an offering you can give him on the earth, but you won't be able to give it to him in heaven. Angels encircle his throne day and night, night and day. They cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. But an angel can't produce your fragrance of worship. Why? Because an angel, although they worship nonstop, they've never known sin. They've never known what it's like to have a past, to be far from God and be redeemed. You do. Some of you in here this morning, I feel this is for you. You've come in here heavy, heavy burdened. You didn't want to come to church today, but you've drug yourself here. You have so many issues and things within your mind. The devil accuses you every day. Says you fake, you phony, just stop following God. You're not fake, it's called being faithful. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I love your claps, just pull them. It's called being faithful. Some of you right now, you're gonna tequila the Lord. All of you are gonna tequila the Lord, but some of you, this is gonna be your breakthrough moment. It's, and tequila is, it's not like you're, you're singing a song you know. It could just be, I love you, I love you, whatever it is. It's just this gratitude that comes out. How many of you are shower singers? You already know you sing off key. They never let you in the band. There's healing for you this morning. Tehillah is your word. Because nowhere does it say you have to be a skilled singer. Where is it in the Bible? I know you've heard this verse, but you probably never read it like this. Yet thou art holy, and thou art enthroned upon the what? praises of his people, but the word praises is tahila. God is enthroned on the spontaneous song of his people. Even more than when we put lyrics on the screen. Because when you sing, those songs are powerful, but you're singing something that God gave someone else. Tahila is where you're singing what he gave you. Lift your hands. Before she starts, would you just begin to lift up your own song in this place? All over the room. Come on, lift up your voice. Just begin to sing to him. Come on, lift up your voice. All over the room. All over the room. Louder. Come on, louder. Louder. Come on, louder. Who cares who hears you? Tequila the Lord this morning. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. 